broadcasting from the island of North America on AMR.FM to the people of the Global South. This is Radio for the Blind, and I'm Joshua David McLaren. It is in our human nature to trust. We trust the medicines we take, we trust the foods we eat, the water we drink, the religions we are taught, and the governments that form around us. We trust almost implicitly virtually every bit of information that is handed us from our so-called trusted sources. Too often, we base this trust upon an ever-present sheep mentality, thinking, if there were something wrong, then the majority would not follow suit as it does. So we all as lemmings go toward the edge of yonder cliff, unaware of the plummetous demise that we may face upon the rocks that lie below. Chapter 6 The Global Buy List Those who will refuse to respect another's views and take them into consideration are most similar to those who were the last to call the world flat among a society of knowledgeable round-worlders. Furthermore, the same may count his or herself susceptible to deleterious persuasions that only time reveals as fallacy, such as regimes displayed by swastikas or flags with stars and stripes attempting genocide on natives and religious refugees. Beware, dear friends, of thinking that you are immune to such societal conditioning, for human beings, much like frogs, will often love the increase in the water's temperature, but will not recognize the danger till it scalds their skin and boils. Some may retain a certain level of doubt in this, but Milgram's study is apparent. The majority will follow suit, unaware of why they do, outside of keeping with the majority. So, we must beware of such mistaken thinking and always keep ourselves in check if we are to avoid the cliffs to come. We must also beware the progressions of the contributions of Sigmund Freud's nephew, Edward Bernays. To one who is aware, these things are quite apparent and almost avoidable, but to one who is of his contributions ignorant, the same is inundated with an almost constant regularity by messages perceived only in our subconscious. These messages are manufactured to manipulate our thoughts and thus our words and subsequently all our actions, our temperaments, and our lives. We must listen to the people around us and be sure that we are occasionally traveling into the many parts of the world where we may fear to venture, for that is where we are most likely to hear the real news. Once we step outside of all our suburbs and are locked outside our gates, we discover what it feels like to be one among the masses. We hear what the people have to say and what they think, and we count ourselves as one of them. We begin to understand their views because it is no longer strictly theirs but ours. However, as tourists from a strange land, we retain within our thoughts the spectacular and rare luxury of knowing how it feels to be set 
deep behind the gates and safe from all the moans of those struggling to survive. We remember our self-imposed displacement that we are tourists, nothing more, a type or shade of traveler that has seen beyond the wall. This gives us an even rarer view, you see, for we have understood both sides from both perspectives, and we have seen the peak of beauty in a human heart. We have seen the wealthy with an understanding that we are all just human beings doing the best we can to comprehend this world according to our knowledge and our view. What we see as travelers, quite uniquely, is that neither side, the wealthy or the poor, truly understands the viewpoints of the other, for as socially cohering animals, we speak amongst ourselves to those who know us best. This is a natural inclination of our species, to want the best for those we know the best, for those in our proximity are those who seem to be most similar to ourselves by our own personal definitions. Both the impoverished and the wealthy seem to have a great amount of power in their ability to increase the comfort of the other's living situation. The poor are in a constant state of doing this for the wealthy. However, in our current global latitude, the wealthy are not doing nearly as much for the poor as the naturally good ethics of being human would require, considering again the concept of human decency. It is time for this to change. The time for it to change is now. And the time is always now. Because the workers work, the wealthy all have jobs, or just investments that bring them more considerable sums of income. Because the workers shop, the same things still apply. If the workers do their shopping at the companies that promote fair wages, an equitable pay scale, etc., then such companies with fair practices will flourish and thus require the services of more workers as they grow. This is good. Such companies will be doing their own part to abolish poverty and thus be counted among the builders of a new and better world. We support this and will therefore keep them on the global buy list as long as they retain such equitability. We will know the difference between a charitable ruse and the actual striving of a company to abolish poverty within its realm of influence by speaking to the people in the trenches and the ditches of their empires. Many companies will use charities to give a false appearance to the world, conveying in illusory ways that they understand the people. It is important to note that companies find tax benefits in charitable contributions, and many heads of many charities are earning six figures for themselves. Therefore, if a company is giving financial contributions to charities while paying its staff ridiculously disparate wages, this may be an indication that either those who run the company are in bed, so to speak, with those who run the charity, or they do not see the view here from the ditches and the docks. After all, that loaf of bread ain't know the difference between one person and the next. Stanley Milgram, as a side note, was a psychologist at Yale University who conducted a study on obedience that began in 1961. 
His findings were first published in the Journal of Abnormal and Social Psychology, American Psychological Association, 1963, though they were discussed in greater depth in his subsequent book, Obedience to Authority, an Experimental View, Harper and Rowe, 1974, wherein he summarized his findings as described below. The legal and philosophical aspects of obedience are of enormous import, but they say very little about how most people behave in concrete situations. I set up a simple experiment at Yale University to test how much pain an ordinary citizen would inflict on another person simply because he was ordered to by an experimental scientist. Stark authority was pitted against the subject's strongest moral imperatives against hurting others. And with the subject's ears ringing with the screams of the victims, authority won more often than not. The extreme willingness of adults to go to almost any lengths on the command of an authority constitutes the chief finding of the study and the fact most urgently demanding explanation. This is, perhaps, the most fundamental lesson of our study. Ordinary people, simply doing their jobs, and without any particular hostility on their part, can become agents in a terrible, destructive process. Moreover, even when the destructive effects of their work become patently clear, and they are asked to carry out actions incompatible with fundamental standards of morality, relatively few people have the resources needed to resist authority.